Hi, my name's Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Monday the 4th of December. Coming up in today's show, I have three interviews for the price of one, um, all conducted at uh, a recent event called Inspire 2006, uh, put on by the Academy of Chief Executives. Uh, really interesting event, lots of great speakers, um, and three very practical, down-to-earth but inspiring entrepreneurs to bring you a little later on. I've also got the usual roundup of uh, comments from listeners and news and other bits and pieces which I hope you'll be interested in. So, to go straight into interviews, um, let's kick off, as I say, by uh, an interview with Mark Adelston of Beaverbrook's Jewellers. They're one of the most successful independent jewellers in the UK. They've got 54 shops all over the, all over the place. And um, they regularly appear in the top five of the Sunday Times best places to work for or best employers to work for. But Beaverbrooks had not always been as successful as it is today and such a, a good place to work. And I asked uh, Mark about how he turned around the business, which uh, when he was initially involved in it was very poorly motivated and not going in the right direction. Okay, I'm, I'm here at um, the Inspire 2006 um, conference, um, and one of the speakers on this morning is uh, Mark Adelston of Beaverbrooks, uh, uh, a major UK jewellery chain and indeed a family-run business. Uh, Mark, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Hello. Um, now, uh, one of the fascinating things about, uh, about your business as a family business is you took over around 1990, I think that's right, isn't it? Well, I became a joint managing director in 1990. Yeah. I actually joined the company in 1979, and over a period of time between 79 and 1990, I became aware of some of the changes that needed to take place. Mm. But I think my, my real realisation and the changes really started to kick off around 1996. And how, during those six years, what, what was it that... that you know, that dawned on you was wrong? Was it simply the, the, the profit or was it the turnover of staff? What was the yeah. issue? I mean, certainly the, the obvious indicator is turnover of staff. At the yeah. time, we were, were a retail business and so we would expect a relatively high turnover. But we were at 50%, mm. which was very high. Or well, we felt it was very high, actually. I guess within retail uh, comparisons, it's not too bad. But um, since a lot of the work that we've put in place, we're currently at 20%. And interestingly, if you look in, in, in head offices, it doesn't even register as 1%. It might, it might be 1%. We might lose one person a year. But it's very, very rare. And I think one of the challenges that we have as a retail business is operating seven days a week, Sundays, mm. bank holidays, till 10 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night. And there are some serious challenges there. Mm, mm. So in, in order to sort of bring people on side and really um, get people committed and passionate... Um, about the business, and uh, you quoted 99% in terms of the staff opinion survey. 99% say that they're they're really proud to to work for you, and you've won or, or been placed very very highly in the uh, Sunday Times best business to work for on three or four successive years. How how in just practical terms do you achieve that? How do you reach people and make them believe your ethos as a business? I think it. Well, first of all, you need time. You need to listen to your people. You need to be genuine with them. 
and you need to I think you need to care actually I think to go down this process you've got to care about your people because if you're doing it as an exercise if people even listen to me now just sort of ticking boxes to, to say yeah that's a good idea I'll try that personally I think it might f- I think it might fail I think there are ways of running a business without having to care for your staff frankly which are probably successful um, probably very successful I choose to run the business the way that I do because I, I do genuinely care about people and I think it was that realisation that has come to me over a period of years and that probably over the last 10 years I've become more systematic uh, introduced techniques that have allowed me to get to that, that place that we, we currently are now but it's an ongoing process we're still learning and we're still making mistakes but we're still moving forward and I'm hoping that in 10 years time we'll be a more evolved business in cultural terms and in philosophical terms than we are currently now but I think it's a choice at the end of the day so it's um, it's business as a sort of force for social and economic good as much as it is as a force for profit absolutely I mean we our philosophy uh, in our business is success with ethics so of course we want to be financially successful. That allows us to do a lot of things, develop people, give good employment to over 750 people, make their lives better and introduce to them some of the, the learnings that we've had so that it doesn't just benefit them at work, which it does, but they can take that into their, into their wider life, life outside of Beaver Brooks. And it's, it's, you know, it's very, very powerful stuff. And one practical thing for people to, to, to take away to improve the motivation and, and retention of, uh, and participation or community of, of their staff, what would that be? Well, I think the first stage, I don't know about the, 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 the thing I would say is the most important is to listen to your people. And actually when they tell you some stuff that isn't so pleasant to listen to, take it on the chin. Don't, don't... Um, don't try and deny what, what it is you're being told because it, it's their reality. Yep. You might argue, you might say, this isn't, this isn't fair, you haven't got it in context. It's irrelevant because their reality is the reality yep. and so you have to listen to their reality. Well, listen and care, I think, are two of the key themes that came through there from, from Mark um, and a really um, useful insight, I think, into into how he has managed to motivate his staff. Now, uh, another person, uh, another chief executive or managing director um, who spoke at Inspire 2006 was Claire Owen of uh, the one of the UK's most successful recruitment consultants called Stopgap. Um, she's just recently uh, picked up an award uh, for being uh, one of the best leaders of a small business in Britain. And um, her speech at the conference uh, uh, created much debate about her infamous lunch test, of which you'll hear more uh, in a moment. Uh, but Claire also talks to me about how she gets the right people and once she's got the right people, how she keeps the right people. OK, um, Claire Owen, who is Managing Director of Stopgap, um, had some very interesting things to say about how to retain and find the, the right staff. She, she ought to know how to do this, having been running a, running a recruit, successful recruitment consultancy. So, um, Claire, uh, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Oh, thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Um, one, of the, one of the most um, interesting, or, or not controversial, but one of the things that stuck out and that m- got many people talking here today was your lunch test. And, uh, tell us a little bit about what you mean by the lunch test in terms of recruitment. 
Oh, it's just a, it's a very simple um, sort of check to say, is this person right for my business? Because like lots of people um, talk today about um, the need to get the right personality, the right attitudes, the right values, or people with the right values. And it just allows me, just I just think, hold on a minute, would I like to have lunch with this person? I don't actually have to go and have lunch with this person. <laughs> so would I like to have lunch with this person? And if I think to myself, no, I'm not sure I'd like to spend an hour in their company, then they're not right for our company. And so, and, and it, so I, you know, that's literally, that's what I'm yeah. doing. I'm just thinking, would I like to spend an hour with this person? If the answer's no, then we go no further with them. If the answer is yes, then that's kind of one, one, box, one box ticked yeah. for me to be able to say, yeah, I think they could be right for the business. I think one of the things that sticks out is rather than moulding the company's um, goals and ethos around employees, you're, you're finding the employees to fit the culture. Yeah, you, absolutely. You've got to start the other way around. Yeah. You know, I, when I talk about our values, our values are... Um, they describe the experience that the end that the customer candidates or clients in our in our world will have so we want our our, our um, candidates to feel that we care for them we want our clients to feel that we're working hard for them we want our candidates to believe they're getting an honest opinion mm. so if we want them to feel that that we're giving them all of those things we'll go and recruit people who are naturally honest who are naturally hardworking, who fundamentally care because you can't you can't make somebody or teach somebody to care so therefore if that's what we want the end result to be we recruit people who naturally have those values you just can't change somebody's natural behavior or personality but you can teach them to be a recruitment consultant so fundamentally we go out and find people who've got the same values as us and they rejoice they honestly they rejoice in the fact that they found a business that matches their values and I know for a fact that half of the people in fact probably the majority of people wouldn't have joined any other recruitment business and the only reason they joined us was because of our values so it's matchmaking it is it is matchmaking it's you know absolutely that's a very good analogy okay one final thought you do a lot in terms of away days and bringing bringing people together within your business physically. I think you've got about a hundred staff, um, and that actually makes a uh, a big difference to the way people interact and get on and creating creating a a, a team that really works together. And I know that your your business is clearly a team based business. Yeah. Um, do away days work? <laughs> oh, I, well, you know, evidence was the other day when I spoke to this chap who has recently joined us, and he said, having been on one of your away days, I now understand mm. that they are such an integral part of the business. You, you had to be there to to really understand and appreciate what was happening with the staff on this away day. That the I, I talk about the glue. That to me, the the community spirit that we have is the glue that keeps the, 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 the people together mm. and being taken out of the workplace, being being given the opportunity to see people who they don't work with day to day um, in a different light because they're the credit controller or they're, they're the office manager or they're the receptionist who maybe they don't work with day to day 
And, and what I think it got them to appreciate was you might do a different job than me, but you have the same values. Ah, that's why we all work for this business. Mm. And, and it just, it, it created stronger friendships. I mean, people said, yeah, gosh, I never really knew so-and-so. And I got to know them here. So it isn't, it isn't away days. It's how you construct the away days, what you do on the away day. So just saying, all right, we're going to take everybody away for a day. Well, forget it. It's actually what are you trying to achieve? And what we're trying to achieve is we're trying to we're trying to say thank you. Um, we're trying to create and reinforce our teamwork and our, our friendship and our fun loving value. And we're just also just trying to encourage people to get out of their comfort zone a little bit. And actually, so 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 we have to find a way days that that allow us to to achieve all of those three objectives and they are fantastic now you're obviously you've got 100 staff um if you continue to grow let's say you have 500 staff a thousand staff if a business has that many staff how do you deal with that away day scenario <laughs> can you can you get everyone in the same place and does it work as well or does it suit smaller groups better um i don't know i'll tell you when we're 500 <laughs> people i don't know i actually i mean honestly i think about this and i i think you know one of my dreams is that as the business grows and we have maybe um uh, uh, more um, group companies that that don't work necessarily in the same location mm. that we can bring them all together um once a year and because people would be moving around within the the group companies it would be bringing people back together going go oh blimey yeah, hello yeah. julie hello jane um you know i think i think the practicalities of taking 500 people away there aren't many hotels that can accommodate 500 people so i think the chances are that you would actually break it down into smaller bits but what we did in um at center park so okay we took there were 90 of us we could have done that with probably 180 people um and then all i would say well if you've got if you've got 360 people will you just do it you know you do it you know, four times a year, or you do it twice. So, so everybody has a go at it. So, I think you know, you know, there are some practical limitations, yeah. but the principles of taking groups of people together and reinforcing what you want your business to be, um, I think, should should stay true whether you're 20 people or 200 people. Claire, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's nice talking to you. Okay, it was good talking to Claire. Um, she clearly has, uh, she clearly cares as well. And I think that was one of the themes of Inspire 2006, a sort of passion and caring and finding people who have the same, the same values as you and your, your business, therefore. So, uh, yep, good to talk to Claire. Um, I thought I'd just, before we go on to uh, my final interview with um, John uh, Timpson of Timpsons, uh, we, I thought we'd just uh, cover off a, a few comments um, I had one comment on the uh, Small Biz Pod blog this week uh, from Karen Sprake, who uh, I misattributed as living in Alberta, I think, for some uh, strange reason in my comments at the end of the last show. Um, he writes and comments, um, love Small Biz Pod and have listened to them all. Heard 34 today and really enjoyed it. Some of the tips I'm learning are life-changing, not only inspiring and educational. P.S. I'm in Devon, not the USA. Don't know how I got out there. Another great guy to listen to is Doug Smart and his very short, just over a minute podcasts. The guy is amazing and really gets results. Keep up the great work, Alex. P.S. P.S. Also loved the music. How about some Monster by Midjure? 
it's pretty heavy stuff. Uh, yeah, I just on the latter point first, I would love to play all sorts of fantastic electronica and techno music from established artists, but for copyright reasons I can't. Having said that, I'm really, really pleased, always d- delighted to be able to play um, the, the really talented uh, artists and musicians uh, and composers that I managed to, to dig up um, out of various uh, internet resources. So it's, it's, it's good to hear new, uh, new voices, new, new musicians. Um, so I don't begrudge having to uh, uh, look at the, uh, the independent music scene. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing, actually, absolutely amazing. You should just, uh, if you, if you want to just have a bit of fun, um, want to discover some new music, I know you can't check out electromancer.com anymore, but um, try the podcast music network or, uh, you know, any of these sort of online uh, music networks are really, really uh, incredible music there if you dig for it. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks very much, Karen, for that. Um, in terms of uh, Doug Smart, yeah, his is a very good short podcast too. And I'll stick a link in the show notes to so that, you know, anyone who's interested can uh, take a look at his particularly useful and short podcasts. Um, and life-changing small business pod is life-changing well uh, or at least some of the advice and I think a lot of the advice is actually really significant and if it does uh, kickstart as it has done for me um, some business ideas some uh, inspiration or, or you know, just the desire to go out and do something in terms of setting up your own business then it really is life-changing there isn't much uh, more life-changing than uh, potentially going it alone, going out and, and, and trying to set up your own business. So, yeah, I kind of concur, kind of agree with that. I, I, I've ha- One of the great things about Small Biz Pod is that I get to listen to all sorts of advice um, and interesting insight from the people I interview. So, yeah, I think I learn as much as the listeners do, if not more, probably. Um, so, thank you very much for that. also had a uh, an email, fascinating email, from uh, Stephen Embleton in South Africa, who says, I've been downloading your past podcast and been catching up on some of the things you've covered. It's great to be able to relate to some of the common elements that all small business entrepreneurs face, no matter where they are in the world. The people that you've had on your cast have given interesting insights to think about. There's not a lot of small business information providers like yours in South Africa, but podcasting's but, but podcasting makes it more accessible. I particularly enjoyed the interview with Guy Kawasaki and the web networking event snippets. Now, Stephen then goes on to talk about his own um, business, which is called Synergy Business Club in South Africa, which again supports uh, the knowledge um, and learning for potential small businesses and entrepreneurs in South Africa. Um, They've got something like 380 members um, in terms of individual business owner members at the moment. And I think there's a really interesting, potentially interesting story to tell here. And I've been talking to Stephen about what it is he's up to. Um, and I, uh, I would definitely like to put together a, uh, a show on small business in South Africa. Um, talking to Stephen, he sent a few across a few interviews that he's done, and I think we, we may well be able to, to 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 sort of splice those into a small biz pod edition. So, um, it, very interesting. I mean, I th- I think yeah, absolutely. There are so many sort of commonalities across uh, geographic boundaries in terms of the the basic entrepreneurial skills and issues uh, that uh, people face. But it's nice to get a different flavour, and it's nice to make comparisons, even if they even if they just sort of confirm that we're we're all the same, um, or, or that we all you know we, we we can all make common connections. 
So yes, uh, future episode of Small Biz Pod on South African small business. Keep an eye out for that. Um, now let's return to uh, the interviews from Inspire 2006 and an interview with um, John Timpson of Timpsons, who, uh, which is a, a, a shoe repair uh, shop uh, amongst other things, a huge chain. He bought Mr. Minute, who some of you may be familiar with in the UK, um, from UBS, uh, the, 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 the big Swiss bank. And uh, John is a fascinating character. He gave a, a superb talk at Inspire 2006 with some really practical, um, useful advice on how to, to motivate staff. I mean, for example, Timpsons give each of their staffs a day's free leave on their birthday. Now, that makes a huge difference to them. People really love them for it. And it has negligible impact in terms of sort of financial uh, cost to the business itself. Uh, I, I think a, a fantastic example of uh, the way you can do simple things that really make staff want to, to do their best for you. Um, John is also an advocate of, um, I suppose, upside down management, which uh, we talk about in the interview that's coming up. Fine. So um, I'm here with uh, John Timpson, who is managing director of. Oh uh, no, is chairman. Chairman, chief executive. Chairman and chief executive. Any, any of yes. those, but not managing director. Never mind. <laughs> of um, Timpsons, um, which is the. Uh, well, you tell us. Tell us what Timpsons is and does. Right. What we do is to uh, repair shoes and cut keys. We're doing watch repairs, jewel repairs, and engraving in 560 something shops throughout England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland. Now, one of the interesting things about your presentation was your um, renowned upside-down management style um, and the impact and the very, the very real practical ways in which that works. I think the, 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 the topic is much discussed, um, uh, even in, in you know, multinational businesses, this idea of upside-down management and the customer comes first and then your frontline staff and the chairman's really at the bottom, not at the top. But there's an awful lot of kind of lip service paid to that in many businesses. You at Timpsons have gone about implementing that in a really exemplary and practical ways. Tell us a little bit about what you've done and what indeed upside-down management really means and what it's for. Let's start off with what it's for. Very simply, it seemed to me in the first place that this was the only way I could deliver a really good service to customers. Because amazing service is individual service and you can't give individual service through a set of rules. The only way I can do that is to trust the people who are working in the shops, serving your customers, to do it their way, the way they feel fit. So that's where I started. And I probably might not have got any further than anyone else. I produced a chart, me at the bottom, them at the top, and it didn't do anything until I said, well, I've got to do something to make sure people understand I'm for real on this. And so I came up with the thought of uh, giving them something which would make them sort of sit back and take notice, which... Uh, was in fact £500 that they could use to settle a complaint without referring to anyone else and they, look, they could use our price list as a guide and charge what they thought was right for each customer. So they had the freedom to do pricing, they had the freedom to look after complaints. Then they started to take notice, they realised I, uh, I meant what I said. You acquired Mr. Minute, the, the, the second largest... Mr. Minute, that's right, yeah, isn't Mr. it? Mr. Minute in the UK, yeah. yeah second largest um, uh, chain in the UK, uh, which was at the time run by uh, UBS, which Swiss Bank. 
um, who, uh, who were putting quite a lot of pressure, or, or potentially putting quite a lot of pressure in the market. What, what did they say to you when you, you approached them initially? Well, first when they bought it, I mean, Minute, let me explain, was a multinational business, and I was only interested in the UK, but I thought they'd be interested in me, selling me that in the first instance. But uh, not a bit of it. I mean, what they told me is that uh, what, where their expertise lay is in putting professional management into family businesses, looking straight at me like yours, <laughs> and that uh, if I wait around long enough, they'll be uh, doing it to me. Um, so they put their professional expertise into the Minute Group, and in the UK, they lost £120 million in four years, uh, which was the point that I came in and bought it. You might think I was mugged to buy anything like that, <laughs> but bought it for a pound, and we've turned it round into yeah. uh, developing what the business is today. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. And one final thing, there's been a lot of talk today, and in, and in fact one of your points was, if there's one thing to take away, go and get rid of the drongos as you... Uh, uh, friendlily call um, staff who uh, kind of don't really fit in and are not really working to the, the culture. How do you do that? How do you, well, first, the most important is to understand why. A lot of people can't, don't spot them because mm. you, if, if you don't understand the people well enough, you won't know who the good one and the bad one are. So once you know who, I mean, how you go about getting rid of them... Uh, First of all, talk to them. Find out. I mean, they actually may be desperately keen to leave, mm. which would be nice. You know, win-win for everybody. Mm. But if they're not, if they wanted to hang on, if they want to play the game, there is a game to be played, and the rules are pretty clear. Um, you go through the, uh, the oral warnings, the written warnings. You make sure your paperwork's correct. And uh, in the end, you will have plenty of grounds on their performance or their lack of, lack of uh, doing things to the book they will be able to say goodbye thank you very much john indeed thank you so i think um uh, again some great insight from john there and um, particularly the latter point um and um, which did come up uh, quite frequently during discussions during the day and that is if you've not got the right person in place uh, get rid of them um you know legally um it's a joint decision but you know make sure that you you, you know if there is someone who isn't pulling their weight or doesn't fit in with the culture. Um, it's a tough business decision, but um, in essence, uh, you want the right people in the job, not the wrong people in the job. And usually people who are the wrong people in a job kind of uh, deep down recognize that and, and will go on and find uh, somewhere where they enjoy working. Um, and that's usually what it comes down to. If you're not happy, if you're not enjoying it, you're probably in the wrong job and that doesn't suit either employer or employee. So um, I hope you enjoyed that. Lots of useful advice, I think, again this week from those three very practical uh, entrepreneurs uh, and very successful in the UK too. Um, so uh, if you want to comment, uh, do drop me an email at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. If you want to send an audio comment, you can just phone uh, up on one of the old... Oh, well, you can Skype me and leave a, a message on uh, my Skype voicemail or phone me up on the number that I can never remember, so I don't see why you should either. Uh, let's see if I can find it very quickly. I'm not sure that I'll be able to. Uh, will I? It should be there, isn't it? It's on the, it's on the site. So there's a little phone number, which is... Um, uh, well, uh, it's 
plus four four um two zero eight one three three one six five six or if you're in the uk it's just oh two oh eight one three three one six five six uh, and just leave a message. So if you, you're listening to this show and suddenly think, hang on a minute, I don't agree with that or I want to add a point here, uh, pick up the phone, dial that number, leave a message and I'll play your comment on the show. Other than that, uh, I think that's just about it for this week. I have some more interviews from Inspire 2006 coming up, uh, of which a few are also video interviews, so that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. In the meantime, however... Uh, I have chosen some music again this week from the uh, Podsafe Music Network. And thanks to them for, for supplying a whole, or for giving everybody a whole chance to, to put lots of new tunes. And, and it's a great place to find new music. Um, and this is a track called Puller, uh, Another Trip Home by Jeff Rosiana.